0: Turn, if you would, tonight to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the truth and song we just heard about your willingness to take our sin and our guilt. That is a wonderful thing to be reminded of. Lord, we are thankful for the peace that... uh, you give to know that it is well with our soul. Uh, just so many wonderful truths that we've been reminded of tonight, and uh, I do pray that you would help us, as that final song said, or that you'd help us to let you have your way in our lives tonight. If there's anything that we need to give uh, some, some special attention to, I pray that tonight we would be willing to do that. God, I pray that you'd bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week you may or may not remember, I don't know, but uh, we looked in verse number 15 and 16 and we watched as the writer explained to the believers uh, that he was addressing that there were some things they could do if they wanted to please the Lord, if they wanted their lives to be pleasing to Him. And we talked about this in light of the context of things as to what was going on in their life or their lives. Uh, We know that they were going through some hardships. We know that they were going through some difficult times. And yet, if they wanted to please the Lord, one of the things that he began with was by saying that they needed to be a grateful people or a thankful people, and they needed to do so continually. And the point was this, is that there is always something to be thankful for. It doesn't matter how difficult things are. It doesn't matter how trying the times may be. If you and I are honest, there is always something to be thankful for. And then he went on to say in verse number 16, he said to do good uh, unto others. So that meant to be kind, to be charitable. And sometimes when life is difficult and life is hard, we tend to turn inward and we forget that we can still be kind to people, that we can still give, that we can still uh, be generous, that we can still do right by others. And then he said to communicate, which carried the idea of having fellowship with one another. And I don't want to re-preach the whole sermon, but I want to remind us of this that it is true that so many times when people are getting uh, going through a hard time, they tend to withdraw from the church family and fellow believers, and they think that that's an answer, and they think that that's a solution uh, to what it is they're dealing with. And the Scripture reminds us that in the midst of difficult days and in the midst of hard times... One of the last things we want to do and one of the last things we ought to do is withdraw from the family of God. We need to stay in fellowship. We need to stay in communion one with another. So, again, just three things that were brought to our attention, things that can be done if we want our lives to please God, be grateful, do good, and stay in fellowship with one another. Those things are a part of the Christian life and in our service to him. Now, that being said, tonight, I think most of you know that it's not very often that I stand before you and I say, man, oh man, was this week's text tough, all right? Even if it is, I don't like to talk about it because it doesn't really help anything. But I'm just telling you, all right, this week's text for tonight's message was one that I struggled with. And and I'll tell you why I struggled with it. This is a message I would not mind preaching at someone else's church, And I wouldn't mind if somebody else preached this passage at our church. But for me to preach the message to us, our church family, it feels a bit self-serving and like it benefits me. And that's not a position I'm comfortable in, all right? I would rather someone else come in and address this and let you think about it and let you ponder it. And uh, I would rather just not have to deal with it, but because... We've gone through the book of Hebrews for the last uh, year and a half. I figure I've got to deal with this one like I've had to deal with all the other ones, right? Right. Okay. So that being said, tonight I'm going to introduce just a couple of thoughts as we make our way into the passage, and then I'll try to tie this all together uh, at the close. But I want to begin by saying this, and I think that we would agree, that sometimes we fail to see the connection between this and this, whatever those two things may be. I think sometimes children fail to see the connection between uh, a good education and a good work ethic and what that will mean down the road by way of success. That's not to say that if you're educated, you'll be successful, but the statistics would prove that the less educated you are, the more of a struggle you will have in the means or in the area of success as the world defines it, and yet you try to convey that to a young person and they don't see it. You try to convey to them the need for good work ethic, to, to have a good attitude, and, and they think they'll just somehow be successful and rich in spite of that, though they are lazy and obnoxious. Uh, they, they just they don't see the connection, right? And I think sometimes even as adults, We fail to see the connection between things. We fail to see that what I am doing right now, listen, what I am doing right now, what I am doing today, that has an impact on the results for tomorrow. It's not as though we can somehow divorce what we've done today from the consequences tomorrow, but I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And so we've got to remember that there is a connection right now to who I am today. There is a connection to what that will result in tomorrow and in the future. It will not be an accident. It will be connected to decisions I've made today. So I want us to understand this, that there are connections that are present, though we may not fully understand it or we may not fully uh, consider it in the way that we ought so that's the first thought that I want to introduce to us. And here's the second thought I want to introduce. And, and I know that it's going to have some overlap to this morning's thoughts and, and maybe even the illustration. But just stick with me. And, I, I, again, I trust that this will be a help to us. But I, I want us to think about this, that sometimes, well, I, I would say more times than not, not just sometimes, but more times than not, you and I cannot really understand what someone else does until we are required to do it ourselves. Would you agree? So, you know, you could tell me this evening what it is you do for a living, and I know that I know what most of you do for a living, but I'm just saying, if you were to talk to me or to visit with me after the service and say, okay, tomorrow here is what I've got staring at me, tomorrow this is what I've got to do, this is what I've got to take care of, this is what I've got to address, I could, you know, again, stand there, look at you and say, uh-huh, okay, okay, yeah, boy, all right, all oh, that sounds good, or boy, that sounds tough, I'll be praying for you, whatever it may be, and you could leave that conversation and you could say this rightfully so, he has no clue as to what I'm dealing with tomorrow. And that would be true, right? Uh, You know, he stood there and he listened and he nodded his head and he was sympathetic and he was empathetic and and, and he tried his best to identify with what it was or or what it is I've got to do tomorrow or this week, But, but you would leave and you'd say he has no idea what it is I've really got to take care of. And for me to assume that I do fully understand it, and that I do fully grasp it, well, that would be arrogance on my part, would it not? If I've never done it. (laughs) No, you say, I don't understand. No, let me tell you, brother, I do understand. No, you don't, not if you've never done it. That's fair to say, right? Okay, now, I say that for this reason. And I don't say this looking for sympathy, empathy, empathy any kind of compassion or anything, I'm just saying this, unless you've been a pastor, you don't know what it's like. Ah, brother, I know what it's like. I was real close to with my pastor several years ago. I know what it's like. No, you don't. And to pretend that you do is arrogance. Well, brother Kyle, I was a deacon in our former church, And I've been involved in church all my life. I know what it's like to be a pastor. I know the load you're carrying. I know the burdens you're dealing with. No, you don't. Don't get quiet on me. You were real supportive of me whenever I was saying I don't understand your job, okay? I'm just saying you don't understand what it's like to be in my position. I've said this to, to some others. Dr. Bill is my good friend, okay? He and I are buddies. I I like Dr. Bill. But what has he been in all his life? He's been in evangelism. Let me tell you, I don't begin to understand what it's like to live the life of an evangelist. There are some correlations and there would be some things that overlap and we could talk about and say, oh, yeah, I've dealt with that, or, yeah, I know what you're talking about here. But there are just some elements of being an evangelist that I could never identify with. And though he is in his 70s and he's been preaching longer than I've been alive, I can say this with a measure of authority, not with any measure of arrogance, but just with some authority, until he's pastored, I've got some experiences that he can't fully understand. And that's just life. And so I I say all that to say this, that I'm going to mention some things in a few minutes. and, And if you're not careful, you might be tempted to sit there and say, Oh, yeah, I understand that. Oh, yeah, I got that. Yeah, I don't know why he's talking about that or making an issue out of it. It's because we need it. And I want us to be aware of this so that you kind of understand my perspective Though here is what I know, that when you leave tonight, you'll still not grasp it. I'm not mad at you, it's just you can't. So notice in the middle part of verse number 17. In verse number 17, it's talking about spiritual leaders here, and I'll show you this in just a moment. But notice what it says in the middle part of verse number 17. It says this, For they watch for your souls. For they watch for your souls. Now, this is spiritual leaders in the lives of the believers there that were being addressed, those who would be reading this letter at some point. And here is what the writer said to those believers. He said, those spiritual leaders, those spiritual overseers, they watch for your souls. Now, I I want us to think about this, and again, I'm not trying to be rude, I'm not trying to sound pompous or anything of that nature, but I want us to notice that the work of the preacher, the work of the pastor, the work of the spiritual overseer, it is different than most line of works in that what we do is eternal because it is dealing with the souls of men and women. I am not belittling, I am not uh, uh, trying to make light of what anyone in this room or anyone in this nation does for a living, but I would say this, there are very few professions and calls out there or, or, or ways of income that have an eternal weight associated with it. the overseers, the, the pastors, the elders, those who would have been the spiritual leaders, he said, they watch for your souls. So, so it's talking about the souls of men and women. It's talking about the inner man, who we are as individuals. And he said, they watch for your souls. So what does it mean to watch? Well, the word watch means this, to be awake or to lose sleep to be awake or to lose sleep. And so here is kind of the idea associated with the uh, with the word. Uh, it would be something like this, maybe like a watchman or someone who is burdened by something that would cause them to lose sleep. Now, I'm not saying you have never carried a burden and that that burden has never caused you to lose sleep, but I would say this, all right? That from the perspective of the pastor, if the pastor does his job correctly and if the pastor does his job effectively, there will be times that with his responsibility as a pastor, it will require a watch and it will require an attentiveness attentiveness, and it will require a burden that many other people will never understand or carry in their lives, Just tonight, if I were to be honest and transparent with you, which I'm going to be, I would say to you tonight that right now, though it shouldn't probably be this way, some would tell me, I would tell you tonight that right now I've got a burden. Well, why do I have a burden? Because right now, as I stand before you, I can look at certain places in the auditorium and I can know that certain people are out of commission tonight. It's not because of an emergency. It is not because of health. It is not because of travel. It is not because of anything other than just laying out from where they ought to be. Now, I'm just saying that's a burden, and I don't mean this wrong, and I'm probably going to say that more than I need to tonight, but I'm going to say, just so that you understand, That is something that will stick with me probably longer than it will stick with most of you because many of you, if you're not careful, you'll not even notice that certain people weren't in their place. And if they're not in their place, you may not even consider why they weren't in their place. It's just, oh, they weren't there. They weren't where they're normally at or where they're supposed to be. But there's not a burden for that. And and again... It's one of those burdens that you think, why aren't people in their spot? Why aren't people doing what they're supposed to be doing? And it's a burden because you realize there is an eternal impact associated with those decisions. There really is, because it's not just affecting them. It's affecting a spouse. It's affecting children. It's affecting friends. It's affecting so many other people. But it's so much more, I hope you know, it is so much more than whether or not a person is in their place in the house of God on a Sunday night, though that's part of it. There are things that I know as a preacher that, to be honest with you, sometimes I wish I didn't know. I've said to people before, sometimes I wish I pastored a large church. Not because a larger congregation would be more fun, but with a larger congregation, you don't get to know people as well. And so you don't know what's going on in this person's personal life. You don't know what's going on with this person's marriage. You don't know what's going on with this person's children, whatever it may be. And I'm just saying that sometimes in in a church our size, there are just certain bits of information that are brought to me, and and I understand that as a pastor that's what I'm supposed to hear, and that's what I'm supposed to be here for. And there are times I'd love to say, man, you know what, I'm just going to tell everyone what you're dealing with because that way everyone knows. But I can't do that. Right? Because if I did that, then some of you would be very mad at me. Like, how dare you? I told you that in confidence. I told you that, trusting that you would keep that to yourself, that you would pray about it. I didn't expect you to tell everyone in the church. I know. I'm just telling you, sometimes I wish I didn't know. But because of what I do know, it brings with it a burden for the souls of men and women in this church. I can't help, and I don't mean to labor this, but I just want you to understand this. I cannot help but think back over the years to where this couple is at now. And where this family is at now. And where this individual is and where this young person is now and and what's going on with their lives. It's just a burden that is sometimes carried That until you've been the one involved in the situation, it's hard to understand it. But as you think about that, again, not trying to garner sympathy, he says in verse number 17, For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. As they that must give account. So what does that mean? It means this. I have to give an account for the ministry that God has entrusted to me. You realize this? Oh, yeah, One day I'll stand before God and I will give an account for the sermons preached. I will stand before God and I will give an account for Sunday school lessons taught. I will give an account for every word that has come out of my mouth, like you'll give an account for every word that has come out of your mouth. And, and if you think about it, I'm kind of paid to talk. I'm paid to say more than most of you are paid to say. Now, that brings with it then a weight knowing that I am responsible for everything that I teach and everything that I preach, but it's more than that. It is also the ministry of ministering that I will have to give an account for. So I'll just be honest with you. There are different personalities in the ministry. I trust you know that, right? There are certainly different personalities in the ministry, and and I've got preacher friends who are very, very comfortable in their own skin to not get too attached and too associated or, or too involved in the lives of the people that they're the pastors of. Now, that may be what they're comfortable with, but I'm just telling you that's not a very scriptural approach to take because if you're not involved in the ministry of ministering to those that God has entrusted to you, you will give an answer for that. And so I have a responsibility. And I, I'll just tell you right now, I lose sight of this sometimes because I'm human. But sometimes the phone rings and, and, and don't, don't get nervous. It's not often that this happens, but sometimes the phone rings and I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to answer it. Because I'm just like you. Sometimes I don't want to talk on the phone. Sometimes I just, I I know what the nature of the call is. It's like, oh, I know that's not going to be good. Or you get an email and you're like, well, they never email me if it's positive, so I have a pretty good idea where this one's going. I'm just telling you. And so you know what that makes me want to do sometimes? It makes me want to pull away from the ministry of ministering to the people God has entrusted under my leadership. Now, you may say, well, you can dismiss me from that responsibility. Well, I can't unless you dismiss yourself from the church because I have a responsibility to this church family. All right, so I've got to give an answer. I've got to give an account for the way that I minister to you. So whether it be in a time of grief, whether it be in a time of of struggle, whether it be in a time of difficulty, whether it be in a time of health crisis, whatever it may be, I have to give an account as to the minister or the leader or the overseer that I was to you all. All right. So that is a part of the equation of my calling, of what God has called me to do, and, and for lack of better words, some of the burden that comes with the ministry, that until you've been there, you cannot fully understand But notice what it says in verse number 17, just so that you know this isn't all about me. All right, in verse number 17, the verse begins by saying this, Obey them that have the rule over you. Obey them that have the rule over you. What does it mean to obey them that have the rule and submit yourselves? Well, it, it means this, yield to their authority. Place your confidence in them and yield yourselves to their authority. Now, not my earthly authority, but the spiritual authority that this position holds. There has to be an awareness, and, and this is being lost I believe, to some extent, it seems with almost almost every generation that is passing, that there is uh, there is a lack of awareness of the spiritual authority of a pastor in the life of a church member. I am not here. I've said this before, and I will say it again. I am not here to tell you what your address ought to be. That's overstepping my boundaries. I'm not here this evening to tell you what kind of car you need to buy and how much money you can spend here. I'm not here to lord over you. That has never been God's call on any pastor's life to try to control every aspect of your life. But there is spiritual authority that is associated with the office of a pastor the office of the spiritual leader of the church. And there are times, whether we like to consider this or not, there will be times in every church member's life where they are going to be confronted by and confronted with the individual who carries the authority of God in their lives because of certain situations, because of certain circumstances. And there will be times that the spiritual leader, that being myself in this situation, there will be times that it will not be my authority that is challenging you, but it will be the authority of the Word of God being presented to you from my position. And that is when the Scripture says, "...Obey them and submit yourselves." There has to be a recognition of the authority of God's man and the position that he holds. And there needs to be not just an awareness of that, but then a willingness on your part to yield to the authority of God's word as presented by the pastor. Now, if you think people don't struggle with that, you don't understand human nature. Well, Brother Kyle, it looks like we're all doing pretty good. Yes, on a Sunday night at church, we are usually doing pretty good. Sunday night usually isn't the problem. Many times it's Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning or Thursday evening. That's when you begin to have the little flare-ups or the little rises in contentions or whatever it may be. And I'm just saying, okay, I'm just saying that there have been times that in the position of a pastor, I have gone and I have confronted situations with the authority of the Word of God, and I'll just be honest with you, it hasn't always been received real well. Shoulders go back. You're confronting me. Yes. Listen, listen. Yes. Your attitude's not right. Your response to this situation is not right. The, the way that you handled this, it's not right. And I'm just saying, there have been times that people have said, I'm sorry, thank you for that. But there have been many occasions over 17 years, where people don't want to yield to the spiritual authority of those well for lack of better words have the rule over you nobody's going to rule over me well that's part of the problem Amen. that's part of the rebellious attitude the rebellious spirit that is part of the problem i, I listen I'm just going to say this, and then we'll move on, and, and you just process this however you need to. There are people in the church that right now I know they don't respect my position as pastor. They make it very clear. I'm just another guy. I'm just another individual. I, I'm just I'm just the dude who wears the tie on Sunday nights. Now, now listen. From the personal standpoint, I, I have to remove myself from the offense of that because I can't afford to take myself too serious. But I will say this, there is a connection there that gets lost on some people. See, notice what he said in verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they, those who rule over you, they watch for your souls. They carry a burden for you whether you realize it or not. And it is a burden that is eternal. It is a burden that has far-lasting implications than, than you may ever begin to know. And he said, they watch over your souls, or they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account. But notice, if you tie these thoughts together, it is this. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. See, the ministry and my ministering to the people of this church, you know what it should produce? It should produce in me joy, not grief. It should produce joy and gladness, not sorrow or the word grief here meaning the idea of groaning. How many of us know what a groan is? It's like, uh, That's a groan If you all weren't familiar with that That's a groan So see it would be something like this Someone is not in their place Where they ought to be And that's a burden And it's a burden that doesn't produce joy You know what it produces Pastor, it's only one service. No, it's not. It's a pattern. More times than not, it's a pattern. It's not just one service. Brother Kyle, you just need to accept what you can't change. I know what you mean, but I can't. I know that I can't change them. I understand that. But see, when when the marriage continues to be in the shape it's in, I'm sorry, that can't bring me joy. That can't bring me anything but grief and groaning and sadness and sorrow. Now, if I was ignorant as to what the marriage really looked like, then yeah, I could be oblivious to it and I could act happy. But I'm just saying, whenever I know what the marriage really looks like and it's not what it's supposed to be, I'm sorry, it cannot produce joy, it produces grief. Well, Brother Kyle, you're not responsible for their kids. I understand that. I'm not responsible for their kids. But I cannot help but have a burden for that. It brings me grief. It brings me groaning. It brings me sorrow more than it does joy. And and here's what the writer is saying. He is saying, listen, you want to yield and you want to submit in such a way that the ministry that the minister is trying to engage in, that it will bring them joy and not grief. So I'm just going to put this out here real simple and real blunt, okay? To an extent, your desire as a church family, let's listen, please. Your desire as a church family should be this. To bring joy to the ministry that I have the responsibility for. Brother Kyle, that sounds very selfish. That sounds very self-serving. I understand that, but notice the connection here that, again, sometimes we're not aware of, that we sometimes lose sight of. Notice what he said next. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to who? It's unprofitable for you. What does it mean for something to be unprofitable? It means this, that it is hurtful... For you. Well, what I do doesn't really matter. the preacher can just get over it. okay, you know what that attitude's doing? that's hurting you. Well, you know what? I just say, listen, I know the preacher feels that way, and I know that the preacher thinks that way, and I know that's what the Word of God said, but that's just not who I am, and that's just not what I'm going to be, and I'm never going to ascribe to that, and I'm never going to you know, submit to that. Okay, listen, in addition to making the ministry grievous for me rather than joyful for me, you know what you've just done? You've just hurt yourself as much as you've hurt me. It's just who I am. It's just what we're about. I don't take it as serious as you do, and you're just going to have to learn to deal with who I am, and I do what I want to do, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Okay. Okay. First of all, you need to know that that's causing me grief because you don't want to submit and yield to the authority of God's Word in your life. But I I just want you to understand this there is a connection there that you can't get away from, and that is this you're hurting yourself with that attitude, you're hurting yourself with that spirit. So you think that you can just be rebellious and you think that you can just be doing whatever you want to do and you're not going to hurt anyone else. Well, no, first of all, you are hurting someone else. You're hurting the preacher and you say, well, that's not my, my, really my main concern. Okay, then for, for a moment, let me encourage you, be selfish for a minute then. And realize you're hurting yourself. You have no respect for the position of the pastor, that's fine, you're hurting yourself. How does that happen? Shucks if I know. But the Bible says it's true. And if the Bible says it's so, then guess what? It is so. So to try to tie all this together, yeah, you don't know what it's like to be a pastor. Big deal. I'm just telling you, you don't know There's a burden that I carry that unless you've been a pastor, unless you've been in a position, you don't fully understand. It causes there to be a burden. It causes there to to be a loss of sleep sometimes when you're trying to help and minister and do all these things. That's just part of it, and I'm a big boy and I can handle it. But here's your responsibility in this. You need to learn to submit and yield and and be willing to place yourself under the spiritual authority of myself, the pastor, or whoever the pastor may be in your life one day, if it's not me. You need to have a submissive spirit. Why? So that you can make the ministry more enjoyable for that person rather than making it more grievous for that person. Because until you learn to submit and until you learn to yield, Not only are you making the ministry miserable, you're hurting yourself. It's just that simple. Now this evening, I'm just going to throw this out. and Please know I I am somewhat cautious in even saying this, okay? But you might be sitting here saying to yourself, I'm so glad I'm a blessing to the preacher. Well... I'm not saying you're not. But you might not want to assume too much. I'm just saying. Because we may think, well, I'm really a blessing to this church, and I know Brother Kyle just loves me, and he is so thankful for me, and I'm telling you, uh, if, if he doesn't love me, he couldn't love anyone. That, that might be completely true for you. But you could be the very one who, when the phone rings, I'm thinking, oh, crud. Or when the text message is sent, I'm thinking, I'll read it later. <laughs> the groan. You say, Brother Kyle, you shouldn't admit that. I'm just saying, you might not want to jump to any conclusions. We might want to do some serious inspection with the aid of the Holy Spirit and say, God, have I yielded to your authority like I'm supposed to? Because to an extent, you've only yielded to his authority when you've yielded to the authority of the ministry of the leader, that being the pastor. You've only submitted to him to the extent that you have yielded to the leadership of the church. And if you say, well, I just can't yield to the leadership of the church, then I say this politely, you need to find leadership that you can yield to and submit yourself to. I don't want anyone to leave, but if the spirit can't be right, then something's gotta give. And if you don't make it right, you're not just hurting me, you're hurting yourself. And that's what the Bible says. So think about it, consider it, and it may just be you need to change your attitude on some things and get some things right. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you would use this message to be a challenge. God, I know that it's a different type of message. I know it's not one that uh, would be preached on a regular basis from here, but, Lord, it is a reminder that we as a church family need. So I pray that you'd help us tonight to see the connection. Lord, that a bad attitude not only hurts myself, it hurts them as well. That a poor response to the authority of your word not only hurts the preacher, it hurts them. They are as impacted and affected by this as anyone else could be. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.